0: Andy Earl. I'm here today with William Stixrude and Ned Johnson to talk about their new book, What Do You Say? How to Talk with Kids to Build Motivation, Stress Tolerance, and a Happy Home. You might remember Bill and Ned from their last appearance on our podcast to talk about their previous book. The bestseller, The Self-Driven Child. Really, really excited to have Bill and Ned back on the show today to talk about their new book. We're going to cover a lot of really interesting and specific situations, including how to talk to your teenager about limiting their time on video games and technology. How Ned had a tricky situation with regard to his son and Fortnite. How Bill helped a principal to motivate a kid who just didn't seem to care. And how one father was able to reconnect with his distant teenage daughter by offering her amnesty. Plus, we're going to look at some ideas for what to say to get your kids talking about parties and alcohol. All of that and more is coming up on today's show. Ned and Bill, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Really excited to have both of you back on the show. I feel like I've known you guys for a while now, and uh, it's really cool to see your work evolving and to see you putting out this new book, uh, which is called What Do You Say? How to Talk with Kids to Build Motivation, Stress Tolerance, and a Happy Home. Thanks for putting out this awesome book. Talk to me about it. Where did this idea come from? Why uh, was this the next book that you needed to write?
1: Well, so often, what parents responded to in The Self-Driven Child, their first book, is some of the dialogues in it. And so often when we lecture, people say, well, what, if my kid does this, what should I say? I tell them a million times, but I still can't get through to them. We were talking with our, our agent who, who uh, about a second book. And he said, God, you said, just self-driven child is a great book, but uh, write a book that just has more language for parents. Uh, what, you do, what do you say to kids if, if you want to try to help them change or try to, try to help them find their motivation or try to help them regulate their sleep or their use of technology or pursue happiness in, in a more sane way? You know, that, that, um, and so that's what we focused on for a year and a half or so and put together this new book. Ned, what do you want to add, my friend?
2: I think that you know they think that pretty much covers it. You know, the, the other thing though, I would add um, in uh, in the self-driven child, we talk we principally talked about autonomy, right? And the importance yeah. of autonomy, both from a stress perspective and, and stress tolerance, but also for kids to be intrinsically motivated. But along with that model of self-determination theory, it holds that relatedness is important. And one of the things that occurred to us is that oftentimes there's a bit of a trade-off. Between autonomy and relatedness, if if I'm a parent, if I'm trying to get my kid to do something, I may be undermining his autonomy, and he might go along with that because for him to fight me on it means he has to sacrifice his own autonomy to maintain the relationship with me, and both of these things matter. And so one of the reasons that parents will tell a kid a million times, right, or lean on, it, is they're just not being as effective in getting across the advice, the wisdom that they, they, they have to share. And it's not because they're no alls because they want their kids to have the benefit of their wisdom. And so, so much of this book was, was really not about as much about the what as the how. And knowing that yeah. it, we as parents, as educators are more effective in how we communicate. We can do it in a way that is respectful and, and, and effective, re- maintains that relationship uh, along the way. So it doesn't have to be a trade-off
0: yeah and I mean you guys start out the book talking about the importance of connection and starting with a really strong connection and you guys even have a recipe in here, you know I didn't think it could be connection could be broken down into a four step system, but it's it it's been done what how where did you come up with this and how do these how how do these work? We gotta stay calm, understand reflect, and explore yeah
1: yeah yeah. You can remember it with the acronym. Sure, you can be sure that you can be helpful to a kid if you. When a kid has a strong emotion, if he screws up something, or you're, you're mad at him, or he, he, he uh, he's he's not being cooperative, if you can stay calm, and and so important is to try to understand because we, we so often we leap yeah. to judgment. Why did you do that? As opposed to you know, help me understand why you did that. That kind of thing. Mm. So it's it stay calm seek to, under, to understand, that's the you, then reflect. And we, we talk about the, this kind of time-honored skill of reflective or active listening, where we, we kind of, we summarize what a kid is telling us in a, in a way that we try to let them know, I, I, I'm, I'm paying attention here, I'm trying to understand what you're saying. And then we explore, we, we, we ask questions. To try, when a kid's open to it, we can ask questions to try to understand more. We can keep a conversation going. But this idea that so often what kids tell us. Andy, we, we, um, we talked to dozens of teenagers preparing this book. We, we had these little, these little focus groups. And one of the questions we asked them is, who do you feel closest to? And invariably, they said it was somebody who listens to me but doesn't judge me. And somebody who doesn't tell me uh, what to do. And so often you know, that we leap to judgment yep. or we leap to giving advice. And so that, that, that's where that formula comes in in terms of how to be, really be effective listeners and helpers.
0: And I like it because you reframe um, and get people to start thinking about kids' strong emotions as a positive opportunity to connect.
2: But well, one thought on that is people don't generally share strong emotions, particularly ones that are hard, with perfect strangers, yeah. right? You know, we, we, we tend to share these strong feelings with people we think can handle them and so one of the concerns that we have if we can if we can hang with kids when their emotions are hard and 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 by doing so convey to them that we can handle their their hard emotions then we're this constant source of you know recalibration for them this this safe haven where they can go out there and really put themselves out there in in the in the in the world and friendships and school and everything else right. and they can to us when god that was a disaster i can't believe whatever as opposed to and as opposed to saying well why did you do that i mean what you know
0: yeah they very
2: quickly they get the message of why i don't want to bring that to my dad he's going to be just as upset as i am
0: there's a story in here about your son ned and he's like playing Fortnite and they're trying to figure out how can I kind of get him to regulate his own Fortnite usage. So uh, how did you work through that?
2: And- I'm glad you asked. I appreciate that. And, you know, it's, it's funny when we were giving talks all over the place, you know, all over the country with our first book, you know, we talked for a while and then people asked questions and always the first question was, yeah, but what about technology ah. and Bill and I would always look at each other when, when the first question wasn't about technology. Because this really technology is, is great benefits, but also in many ways a real scourge on all of us and not just our kids. And so you really can't have a, a book that, that helps people with communication if it doesn't also help people communicate about their use, their kids' use, you know, sane and, and, and safe uses of technology. So my son was kind enough to offer me a really good opportunity to see whether I could walk the talk, right? So his sophomore year, the game Fortnite came through like a plague. And he, like a lot of young men was just obsessed and it's a well-designed game. Boy, does it make it addictive, fun, 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 fun. So here's the opportunity. He had a Friday off from school. On Thursday night, I asked him, so, so what are you gonna do with your day off? And he says, play Fortnite. Oh, great. Um, Good. Uh, Anything else? I'll think about it. Uh, Okay. So I come home from from work on Friday. It's like five o'clock at six o'clock, whatever. There's my kid, lovely child, but still sitting in front of the computer, still in front of the computer, I should add, still in his pajamas. And I (laughs) I admit to being a little hot. I was a little like, really, dude? I mean, is all the things that you did in clean room, whatever, whatever, whatever that, that I might have imagined could have done. And I looked at him and said, can you, can you, can you finish up that game? Fortunately, for does just to take that long to win or to lose. He said, Oh yeah. 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 I said, and can you put your pajamas? Can you put your, can you get dressed? Because I, I would like to go out for pizza. Oh oh yeah, yeah, sure. Sure. And he's a really easy going guy. So I come down, he finishes wins or lose. I don't know. We as a family go off and have pizza together. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I simmer down we have a nice dinner. I say nothing more about the Fortnite. Saturday, I say nothing about the fortnight. Sunday, I say nothing about the fortnight until five o'clock, which mm. for those of you who have ever been a teenage boy or had a teenage boy, the <laughs> you know, witchy hour, where he goes, oh, and everything that's due on Monday occurs to him. And then it's six uh, hours to do, you know, he's got four hours to do, six hours of homework or whatever. And now he's upset with his decision about his use of his time on Friday. He's like, oh, I can't believe that I'm such an idiot, right? And if ever there was an opportunity for a parental, I told you so. This was it. But there's this book. And so that felt like, it was okay, fine. So I <laughs> put on my best bill stick shoe, right? I said, well, um, I said, oh, gosh, I'm really sorry. That sounds really frustrating. I, I, I know what that space feels like. I said, uh, let me ask a question. May I ask you a question? Sure. Um, do you recall how much time you, you kind of spent playing for it? uh i don't know maybe eight or ten hours okay was it fun oh yeah it was awesome i won four times great um uh, if you reflect on it how many hours do you think would have been necessary it was less to to get your Fortnite fix in i don't know four or five okay one more question would it help you because it sounds like you're pretty frustrated that you kind of went off the rails a little bit would it help you if your mom or i kind of helped you manage your use of technology. Yeah, that, I, I, I think that would be helpful. Now I have buy-in, right? And I mean, Bill and I feel very strongly that it's not our, and it's a fool's errand really, but it's for us to try to manage our kids' use of technology, especially once they're teens, but rather to help them learn to manage their own use of technology. Because as we talked about, my kid at that point was a couple years off, from going off to some college somewhere with, you know, suitcase full of my money and no parental oversight, right? And so I really, my right. wife and I wanted him to struggle with this and it wasn't easy and it wasn't free of messes. And even now he's still trying to, to figure that out. But to be honest, I'm 51. I'm still trying to figure out, you know, this occasion, uh, who who, who is it? Um, so we, want, okay. we just want to position ourselves so we're working with our kids not on them because we need mm-hmm. them to 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 learn these skills and how to manage their own lives rather than us managing the them for them.
0: Yeah, and I think I like that we skip the failure. You know, we need to kind of you or did such a good job of like letting him fail. You know, I like the way you tell the story because. It's not easy to do that. And as a parent, it's really tough to just kind of sit back and like watch, oh, oh, oh. Uh, like really you're just gonna do that all day. But yeah, um, my, my wife's con- consistent line and it's completely honest of Heartfelt, she said,
2: It just kills me to watch him waste so much time. Yeah, right. And and that's real, you know, but I also, you know, once in a while I just gently remind her, you don't have to yeah. watch it all the time. <laughs> right? Just don't, you know, because, you know, because it's hard to bite your lip, right? It's hard yeah. to sit on your hands. But if you jump in all the time, then he's not responding to the natural consequences of his choices. He's responding to you, right? And now you're just yeah. as a voice of wisdom. You're just the scold who's like, oh, well, stop it, mom. And it's frustrating for her. So just, you know, he is who he is, and he's going right. he's up every day. But if it's too hard to watch, just walk away because it's probably going to be a mess whether you're a spectator or not.
0: You talked earlier about how important it is for our kids to know that we can handle it that they can, you know, express their emotions and we're not going to freak out. We're going to be okay. And it's kind of the opposite of what you talk about, you know, how sometimes we kind of communicate anxiety to our kids. And, um, I really like how you point out that there, there are these kind of distorted ways of thinking that we use sometimes without realizing it that we sort of communicate to our kids. And you talk about some catastrophizing, shooting, fortune telling, but how do we sometimes, um, without realizing what we're doing, like communicate these faulty ways of thinking to our teens?
1: You know, we just uh, we just wrote a piece um, and the title is Be Very Afraid.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: we, we, you know, we, we, we traveled around the country talking about our, the self-driven child for a lot until COVID and every place we went, but mainly what people talked about, was how stressed and anxious their kids were. Mm. I went to Seattle, and they're talking about the second grade kids who were in school refusal. Ned and I went to Dallas, We were talking in an elite school, and the counselors were said school counselors were saying the fifth grade boys are having panic attacks due to the pressure of middle school, and it just seemed to us, Andy, that the kids that they must be getting the message that they need to be very afraid, yeah, given right. this level of stress and anxiety. And it's not that we as parents, we aren't the only ones who communicate the whole, the whole uh, environment, that yeah, their yeah, peers in their yeah. school. Uh, you know, our first book is about the sense of control and the wisdom of focusing on what we can control. You know, simply, we, we can control part of what we do. And so we talk about things that we do that can make kids more anxious and then what, what we can do to make them less anxious. And what you're referring to is cognitive therapy. Cognitive therapy developed uh, the realization that so many of our problems are that we're telling ourselves "Stop! it doesn't make sense if you don't do, do better this next time you'll never be able to that that's a fortune telling error you know the shooting on yourself oh god i should have done better well where's where's the evidence where is it written that you should have done better than you did and the catastrophizing we, we, we all <laughs> tend to catastrophize a lot and and certainly being mindful of the ways in which we distort reality that makes us more anxious, that makes our kids more anxious, is simply one way that we've found we can help give our kids the message. I mean, ideally, we're giving kids the message that this world is a pretty safe place,
0: yeah. even
1: with COVID. I mean, most people most people haven't died, and, and we're probably living in the safest time and place in human history. And we've got to get the message that. Most people in this world do fine. They they make it through school. They they, they find a way to make a living. They they get married, whatever they they do. And Many kids grew up thinking that the path to being a successful adult is extremely narrow. And if they ever fall off it, they're screwed. And this is part of what we're trying to correct, this very narrow idea that to have a really meaningful life, a life that you enjoy, you have to be very anxious and on guard and driven and, and never give up because that's a path to burnout, not to success.
2: And I'd add to that, you know, if you fail this, you're never going to be successful, you know, to catastrophe. I mean, all these kind of things in many ways, it's encouraging kids to look for the problems, to look for the, all the ways this can go badly, right? Yeah. Rather than how do you correct this? How do you make this go better? I was talking with my daughter the other day, she's learning to drive. And making the point that you know if you're if you're driving right and you're heading you know on a tight curve towards a Jersey wall, you don't want to look right at the wall. You really want to look towards where you want the car to go. Yeah. And she and she and she did a lot of horseback riding. She's like, oh my gosh, that's just what our instructors told us because if you look at the wall, then the then your shoulders go and the horse goes all right, <laughs> right. Where if you look where you go, it turns all of your tension and all the energy, mm. right? And so. Do we have problems in life? Do we fail quizzes and make mistakes? Of course we do, right? But if we can help our, if we can, we can help our kids turn their attention towards how do I get out of here? If yeah. we turn our attention to, well, this is a challenge, but not this leads right into the ditch of of destruction, but rather right. how do we turn it towards a place that gets us back on back on on firmer ground?
0: But it's kind of like. Isn't that your duty as a parent to see all the things that could go wrong and all the problems coming um, and <laughs> protest, say, hey, wait a minute. Uh, no, I, I
1: think it's fine. I mean, certainly part of what we can give our kids is our experience, is the benefit of our experience.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
1: if, if there's roadblocks up ahead and, and there's dangers up ahead, we, we can let them know. But so much of, of what's happening in the work on helping kids is giving the message, I'm 100 percent confident you can handle the situation. Mm. You can handle your own emotions yeah Uh, there's we we talk in the book about a new program out of yale the acronym is space and it stands for supportive parenting of anxious childhood emotions and and the idea it just works with parents and it's as effective as treating anxiety in children and teenagers as cognitive behavioral therapy is um, working with the kids wow and and what what it asks parents to do is to stop accommodating what, what they do to help get kid be less anxious. And say, I'm not, I'm not, I used to think that you needed me to uh, walk you to the bus every day or wait till the bus comes or, 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 or walk, walk you to, to school because you're anxious. I used to think that you couldn't handle your anxiety. And now I realize I, I was wrong and I'm 100% confident that you can. Mm-hmm. I, understand why, I understand you're anxious. I get that. You aren't making it up. I get that. We, 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 we express empathy. But we also say, I'm 100 confident you can handle it. So it's not that we can't say well, you to watch out here that this or this. Yeah. Uh, but we also yeah. we want we also want to be given the message that, that you can handle it. That that anxiety is not something to be afraid of. You can handle your feelings, and I can handle your feelings.
0: Also, um, when you're talking about the space program. Uh, I had written this down too because I thought it was really interesting. You talk about how parents use strategies, uh, called active participation and modification to kind of help kids calm down or prevent them from even ever having to like get upset in the first place. And that sort of ties back to what we were talking about earlier too with the Fortnite and allowing, allowing kids to fail a little bit. Yeah. You know.
2: You know, it, with the subtitle of the book of of building motivation, but also stress tolerance, we thought for a while about about using the term resilience. But but in some ways, it's been in you know 14,000, books, and I kind of feel like the meaning of it may be bent out of shape a little bit. Yeah. But Technically, resilience is nothing more than the ability to return to a previous state, right? So I'm fine. I get upset. How well or how quickly do I return to you know being being okay? And that's what that's you know that's a you know, really good marker of mental health. And so, what we're really talking about is our kids learning to have tolerance for stress. Not that we want their lives to be stressful all the time, but we naturally will experience stress when we when we stretch ourselves, when we try things that are challenging, when we we, we get beat up a little bit, and that's part of life. Yeah. And in order to develop stress tolerance, you have to tolerate stress. <laughs> and what we want we want is for kids to have the sense that. I can handle this. No, not I can handle this because mommy's holding my hand. I can handle this because dad's with me. And obviously when they're little, you know, when they're when they're one, two, three, four, five, we're co-regulating with them. But as they get older and older and older, we don't want to be their walking, talking, you know, security blanket so that they can handle these things when they're when they're with us. And so what happens with accommodating, you know, if you think about having a, a two or three or, you know, baby who's who's upset, we rub their backs and they're there there, and we sue them. But we can get into the process of pattern where we, we reassure them constantly, opposed to their having thoughts with which they can reassure themselves. Yeah. Or we make all these accommodations where they don't like this, they don't, and there's a There's a Kate Julian has this beautiful story in the Atlantic from, I guess, a a year ago now, um, where it talks about a family where a kid was really picky with eating and they accommodated him by basically only feeding what he wanted to. And they had like 1100 meals or 11,000, whatever it was, of turkey loaf, because that was the only thing, you know, and on any given breakfast, lunch or dinner, it just wasn't worth fighting with him about turkey They're, the whole system had worked around to support his, you know, his consumption of turkey loaf where, you know, you could say, look, I know you don't love macaroni and cheese, but that's what we're having for dinner. That's and I what we to-
0: got. Yeah. <laughs>
2: but I, I know you might not love, love it, but, but I, I know you're strong enough to handle macaroni and cheese.
0: We're here with William Stixrud and Ned Johnson talking about exactly what to say to difficult teenagers in all kinds of different situations. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show.
1: There's nothing better for a young brain than working hard to get better and better and better at something that they're interested yeah. in, they, they care about, and then sleeping so that the, the brain solders in Uh, What they learn from the experience? There's nothing better. That makes the point that anything that's worth doing well is worth doing poorly first. The best message you can give your high school kid or give a teenager in general, uh, besides I love you, is I have confidence in your ability to, to, to make decisions about your own life and to learn from your mistakes. And I was talking with one of my childhood friends, who has four kids and and the the youngest daughter was just a pain in the ass for for all through (laughs) high school. It was just all through high school. They were just constantly uh, uh, testing limits, breaking boundaries, breaking rules, lying to her parents. He said, we just had a terrible relationship. There's just complete lack of trust. We were trying to clamp down on her and and she'd find a way to to, to sneak out or or whatever. told me the story that one night in her senior year of high school, the, the mother was out of state doing something, and my, my, my friend had, had a church meeting. And so he gets a call while he's at the meeting from, from a neighbor who says, You know, there's 20 kids, your, your daughter and 20 of her friends are at your house, they're all drinking. And so when the meeting's over, he comes home, and, and the kids must have gotten wind of it because they, they'd all cleared out they cleaned uh. the place. And he confronts his daughter, and she says, there's no part are you saying that the john across the street lied yeah he must have because there are no kids here so my friend calls the neighbor again and the neighbor's wife is a therapist and he and says what should i do God, I mean, we, you know, we've taken away everything out of idea yeah he says offer her amnesty tell her that whatever she did it's like it never happened and so my friend goes to her daughter and says that if I was talking to my parents and lying just straight to their face, that I'd probably feel guilty at some level. So I imagine that you're feeling a little guilty and I'm not going to pile on. So I'm just going to want you to know that whatever, whatever happened tonight, you have amnesty. It's like it never happened. And he went to bed. And later that night, she came and knocked on his door and came to the bedroom and said, I had a party and I, really, I feel really terrible about lying to you. And he said the temperature in their house increased by 30 degrees. I Maybe mean, it, it was that, that cold tension, you know, can't stand to it, be just uh, the warmth of their relationship so is it was, it was completely game, a game changing thing, mm-hmm. not, not to do the knee jerk. We're going to punish you for this. And what he said later, what he told me later was that I wasn't, I, I don't want her dr- drinking is not good for the teenage brain. Right. But you know I I went to parties and dragged drag, sometimes it, it, it I wasn't so concerned about that I was concerned about just the terrible relationship.
0: Yeah. And he pro- right. prior
1: by prioritizing the relationship. It was complete a complete game changer. said that we started to be, communicate more openly, started to be have actually have fun together, started to trust each other more. Yeah. Her parole officer says she's doing really time honored life, but no. But, but, but she's, she they have a very close relationship now, and it's just it was just one of those times where we just change the energy. We change yeah. the energy where we would focus on love and relationship, and not think that we have to reflexively punish or set limits or or, or um, do something that, that really isn't very effectual. I mean, the most punishment is a very ineffective parenting tool, and it usually harms the relationship
0: want to hear the full interview sign up for a subscription today you get access to all the interviews i've conducted as well as new episodes weeks before the general public it's completely affordable and your subscription helps support the work we do here at talking to teens thanks for listening